Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockdownWBB and, of course, follow our coverage 24-7, 365 at High Post Hoops, except this year, 24-7, 366, thanks to the leap year. And somebody who has uh, filled many of our stories and will continue to uh, as she takes her Princeton Tigers through March, possibly into April, and then, of course, on to the pros, is Bella Allery, who joins us. Bella, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very excited to start by talking to you about the fact that you are now the all-time leading scorer at Princeton. And so, for some of our listeners who don't know, your family's legacy at Princeton goes back generations. And so, for you to be that figure at this school has to have an added emotional meaning. Can you take me through just how you've been thinking about that since you reached that mark? Yeah, um, I knew I was really close to it um, on my senior night. And I was asked the day before that game if I would, you know, score, I think it was 22 points to get to get to the um, all-time scoring record and it kind of stressed me out a little bit knowing there was that added pressure and I I think I got to 19 points so I knew I needed three points in our Columbia game and um, you know I just wanted to to get it the way you know I score normally I didn't want to like put any pressure shoot anything I wasn't used to shooting and um, but once I got it it was it was a great relief and a great moment and it means the world to be the person to set that record here at Princeton. My grandpa went here and he's left his legacy here and to have my name, you know, at the top of that list, all time scoring means a lot. And the, the outreach from all the coaches at Princeton, my teammates, family about how proud they are of me and, and how hard I worked to, to achieve that goal meant the world. So it, it was really exciting and, and just a really happy moment. It was interesting. You, you said about how you score normally, and you've made yeah. a concerted effort uh, to expand what qualifies as like the normal Bella Allery offensive game, right? I, I mean, mm-hmm. your, your three-point shots, uh, both uh, the amount that you're making and the number you're taking have gone up fairly dramatically this year. I know that was a, mm-hmm. a, a key part of the way you wanted to expand your game. How do you think about getting those three-point shots and sort of how do you put those into your offensive flow? Yeah, I mean, our flow comes from me getting the ball inside most of the time and also just coming through me in different ways. So I get threes a lot in the trail mm-hmm. and I look to, if my you know post buddy is sprinting down the floor, I might slow down a little bit and see if I can find a pocket that's open. Um, but we have, we have great sets and my coaches put me in good positions to score. And there's a couple times a game where our team rebounds really well on the offensive end. And sometimes, you know, we find, I find myself in the three point line in those opportunities. So, um, I mean, it kind of just depends, but you know, I want, I want the ball to get through me so I can find my teammates. And then sometimes I get, I get lucky and find those pockets where I can shoot threes. You also have played a lot of double big sets this year, I've seen, with Taylor Bauer. And it seems mm-hmm. like that's something, you know, I've talked to a coach about it, where you're set up for the way you'd play at the next level, where a lot of the times on yeah. the WNBA lineup, you would be a stretch four rather than you know, your prototypical five, the way your size might dictate in college. Do you see it that way? Mm-hmm. And 
Do you feel like that's a comfortable role for you uh, when you're playing at the professional level? Yeah, I definitely like the stretch four position, especially because as a younger player in high school and even my freshman year at Princeton, I was definitely just a, a perimeter player, like three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my thing. And uh, my coach realized that my size was too valuable and I had to learn how to play closer to the rim. Um, and so I do feel really comfortable outside and, and stretching the floor. And then in terms of playing with my post, they're, they're more mid-range players around the basket. So that gives me the opportunity to be the, the post player in those offenses that can step out more, be the popping post, um, and, and look to stretch it more. You know, again, the fact that there are now these regular models at the next level who have pioneered a lot of this stuff. I, I mean, you can go back, obviously, to Candace Parker and Lauren Jackson a little a little further back, but having Elena Deladon and Brianna Stewart be the back-to-back faces of the league, back-to-back MVPs in 2018 and 2019, right. do you feel like that smooths your path in order to be very much the player that you already are? Yeah, I mean, they're amazing role models and people to look, to, to look up to. Um, and when I watch any WNBA game, I'm on, I'm always drawn to the, the tall players mm-hmm. who can kind of do it all on the floor. Um, and I like to watch and see what they're doing. I also think Emma Meesman has been an awesome person to watch, especially in the, in the finals as someone who, you know, can play everywhere and be a great, you know, teammate on the court. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, it's awesome to see, you know, women who, look like me and have you know my body type in that sense and who who play the way I want to play be so successful and I think that that really does motivate me well as as I are I have argued on many an occasion your game is where the lead is going and by the way that extends to the defensive end as well and your (laughs) ability to block shots which continues unabated but you seem to be doing it in some additional ways again by virtue of playing uh, with multiple bids, you're not doing it at the expense of other people getting blocked. Some of them are on help. Some of them are uh, strictly in the post. And, and the net result has been that your Princeton team, which was already a strong defensive team last year, is now, depending on what metric you use, the number one or two defense in the country. So can you take me mm-hmm. through sort of how you see your defensive evolution powering Princeton taking that step forward the way they have this year? Yeah, um, for one thing, I think it's definitely a team team effort in in a lot of ways. We have a great chemistry on the defensive end, and that does power everything we do on the court. And so I think everyone on our team being locked in in that sense is, has made us a great defensive team. And then my part in that defensive unit is to be to be a shot blocker and a help defender. So. On our rotations, I, I have to be there to block shots when we get when we get beat off the dribble, and when we play big posts, you know that's my my job to guard them and not let them score. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it it does our defense puts me in a lot of different positions to play defense on different types of players. So when we have guards coming at the rim, I have to make sure I'm not fouling and instead altering their shots, um, and then I have to you know, battle with the post down low when we play these, you know, great forwards who play more physically and and I have to be able to 
stop them in that way. So I think I'm kind of like the in a lot of time, like in a, in a lot of defensive situations, I'm like the last line of defense, and I'm trying to protect the rim. And I think that you know I've done a pretty good job this year trying to you know stop shots and deflect them and make people maybe take shots that they're uncomfortable with. The most interesting, and there are several uh, interesting things in the numbers on the defensive side as they apply to you, but I think my most interesting number is the fact that your foul rate has gone down significantly from 2.9% mm-hmm. to 22 uh, That actually rates 172nd in the entire country of 3,315 qualifiers per her hoop stats. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me about that is, like you said, you're doing it as a big. You're doing it as someone who's generally defending the biggest or second biggest uh, opposition player. You're doing it down low at a place where a lot of mm-hmm. fouls are called. And and you're surrounded, if you look at the leaderboard, by guards. And so I wonder mm-hmm. how how you manage to do that. Is that, I, I mean, how do you even practice that to say, all right, I, I'm going to make a concerted effort to foul less? <laughs> yeah, I don't really know, um, honestly. And even I've even thought about this, like, how did I ever learn how to, like, block a shot? Like, no one ever mm-hmm. taught me. It just, like, happened. And I think with fouling, I know that, you know, I need to be on the court as as much as possible. And if I'm fouling, you know, I have to be on the bench. And so I do try to be really smart about where my hands are and, you know, being too physical and all that. I think around the rim, I just try to use my length as much as possible Mm -hmm. against players because, you know, it's hard to call a foul when there's space between you and and the offensive player. Um, But yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely conscious of it, and I think that does, like, stop me from, you know, bumping or doing things that that the refs would call a foul for. The, my favorite thing about that, too, is the foul rate's gone way down, your block rate is up, your steal rate is up, and at the risk mm-hmm. of getting too excited about numbers, which I have a tendency to do, <laughs> your top 10 players on Princeton by minutes per game all have steal percentages north of 2%, which is just unheard of. Typically, you know, that's a handful of guards, and that's it in an entire Mm -hmm. conference. So are you guys thinking about charting deflections and steals? Are you, does one feed into the next? You know, how, how does an entire team get to be that good at getting into passing lanes? Yeah, um, it's all, you know, credited to Coach Bruby, who came in and told us right away, like, defense is her priority. Mm-hmm. And we don't chart deflections, we don't chart steals, but we do just get after it every day in practice. And and Coach Bruby is, you know, always striving for perfection with this team and is never satisfied with, you know, a mediocre defensive possession. and and everyone just gets after it is in the lanes and we have our, you know, responsibilities and everyone is on the same page. And I think that's why you said our, you know, 10 top 10 players on the team or something all have, mm-hmm. top you know, 10. high crazy. steel. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's every day in practice and it's, you know, we, we all know what it's a good defensive possession or not because, you know, we'll see it in coach Bruby's eyes and, um, you know, it's just it's just our priority, and so we just we love playing defense, and and I think that's why everyone is getting a lot of steals. It, it, it makes sense. I will note 
that the number two overall, number five overall, and number seven overall picks in the upcoming draft uh, belong to the Dallas Wings. Brian Agler, a defense mm-hmm. first coach. Tamika Catchings yeah. is the GM of the Indiana Fever, uh, five-time WNBA player, a uh, defensive player of the year. Uh, Nikki Collin is mm-hmm. a uh, defensive coach uh, and, and deserves more credit for that, quite frankly. And Cheryl Reeve, mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota Lynch, GM and coach, does chart deflections. I say that by means of, have you thought about the way in which your defense is clearly designed to translate to the next level as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think defense is important at any level, and it's it's a part of the game that I feel like is sometimes underrated. People love watching teams score, but mm-hmm. when you can see a team just lock down other teams and frustrate them, I, I love that. I think it's awesome, and I've really enjoyed this year, you know, just getting after it with my team on defense. And so, yeah, I think this year more than any has prepared me and will prepare me for the next level um, and has really opened my eyes to how much I really do love playing defense and how, how important it is to the game. There's a parallel between Princeton and Baylor that extends beyond the numbers. Uh, there's also the fact mm-hmm. that, like you, they have a big who's capable of getting blocks and droves and Lauren Cox who operates mm-hmm. as the nerve center of the defense. Uh, my, my question for you is twofold. I'm wondering, it's hard obviously when you're in the midst of your own season, but how much you've seen or um, you know, know about the way in which Baylor is playing defense, number one, and number two, whether you think the current game is just designed where a mobile big like yourself, like a Lauren Cox, who can go and get those blocks, not just in the post, but on help defensive assignments, is uh, mm-hmm. critical to uh, defense being at the top of the the top of the country. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, Lauren Cox is an amazing player, and I think we're similar in that sense that we're we're both mobile and and we can be on that help help defense. You know, the whole game. Um, I do think it is important to have length around the rim um and you know it starts it starts with the point guard you know bothering the other point guard and playing as hard as they can and making them turn and keeping their you know hands in their face and um we on my team you know all of us have the exact same rules on defense like we need our hands in the other team's eyes at all times Mm -hmm. no easy shots you know we have to make sure like we're guarding the passing lanes and everything and and then, yeah, these mobile bigs, me included, our our job is, you know, to be to be there and help, and to make sure that we alter any shots that are going up at the rim. Um, but yeah, I do think it it comes down to really good, you know, coordination and communication on defense, and that's kind of what we've we've emphasized all year: is communicate, talk through everything. Um, when you do have mobile bigs you can also make emergency switches and and guard more people on the court and I think that also comes in handy as well yeah for sure and you guys have multiple bigs Mm -hmm. like you were talking about before uh, which allows you to do that uh, in multiple situations well listen it's clearly working and you guys are (laughs) entering the Ivy League tournament with uh, you know a significant win streak and and one loss all season by the thinnest of margins and mm-hmm. so, depending on which bracketologist uh, you you look at, you guys are projected. It seems like somewhere around a five seed right now. I'm wondering when yeah. you think about 
where Princeton is relative to the rest of the country. I remember us having a conversation earlier this year where we couldn't imagine why you guys weren't ranked in the top 25, and that's obviously changed now. Does it still feel like people are underrating you guys, and what feels like a successful goal when you think about a march into March? Yeah, I I think we, we think we're underestimated, underrated, but I do think that gives us a chip on our shoulder and makes us, you know, want to play harder, prove ourselves more. Um, at a place like Princeton, I think people don't expect us to have, you know, the best defense in the country and to have this really great win streak. And like you said, our only loss was by two in overtime. And so I think we have been playing with that chip on our shoulder and to keep moving up in the ranks and keep proving ourselves. And going into March, I think that's going to be that's going to come in handy for us. Um, you know, we're we have really big goals for ourselves. We want to make history at Princeton. Um, in my time here, we haven't made it past the first round, and I have a good feeling that this is the year we could go we could go farther in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have all the all the all the pieces in place to do that. Um, we just have to execute our game plan and play like we know we can. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking to the sweet 16. We want to go far and, and this weekend is the first step in doing that. Um, just proving with two more games that, you know, we're the best in the Ivy league and, and we want to win the tournament. Um, but yeah, March is, March is a really exciting time. And I know, um, we have we have a lot to prove going into it. And let's just be clear, lost by two in overtime at Iowa, a team that is projected to mm-hmm. be a top four host, uh, essentially yeah. a, a pick'em game on the road, uh, a, a very, very close loss to a team that mm-hmm. certainly has had a very successful season as well. Well, our, our bracketologist uh, over at High Post Hoops has it projected right now that you guys would be a five seed and playing in an Iowa City pod, so you'd have the chance to avenge your only there loss of the season come <laughs> second round, which would be a pretty cool way to do it. Now, before you do, I, I mean, just got, it would be fun to talk about just the, the, the weird, the elephant in the room, obviously, of uh, the issue with coronavirus. And before we got on air, you were mm-hmm. talking a little bit about, uh, you know, classes being canceled and you're going up to Harvard this weekend. It, it, it's obviously in doubt what kind of crowds will be permitted, uh, whether it's at the Ivy yeah. League tournament or even at the NCAA tournament. The thing I keep thinking about is just you've played your whole life to get to this point in college. And mm-hmm. it might be that these moments, you know, these these biggest moments of your career to date are going to happen not with the cheer of a crowd, but an empty arena. How do you as an athlete prepare for that? And how strange is that going to be? Yeah, um, I was talking to Taylor Bauer, our other senior, about this. And it is weird that, you know, our senior year, you do work so hard your whole career for, you know, the the full arenas, the cheering fans and your family there. Um, and I guess we still don't really know what's going to happen, but, um, you know, once we know we'll start, we'll start thinking about how to mentally prepare for that. Mm -hmm. Um, the good thing is, you know, we, we scrimmage in practice, so we know how to play, you know, and compete, um, without, you know, crowds. And, and I think, you know, we'll play just as hard no matter what. I think it's just one of those things that, especially as a senior, you do, like, dream of these big moments. Mm-hmm. And it it's sad to see those 
that they could be taken away um, because of coronavirus. But, you know, we're, we'll still, you know, play as hard as we can and, and try to rally together and use the energy of our team to, to push us through those games. And, and, I mean, I'm pretty sure even if they banned all spectators, your parents would find a way to break into the arena. So I think you have they a would. cheering section regardless. <laughs> <laughs> they sneak in there. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, Bella Allery, like I said, absolutely wonderful season. Uh, I Before I let you go, I just I, briefly, briefly, if you'll indulge me, ESPN had a list of the top 25 players in the country. This came out a few weeks ago. And I was blown away by the idea that you wouldn't be on there. Um, at the end of the day, they're lists, right? They, they don't ultimately mm-hmm. define, they don't make a difference. Uh, you know, people were kind of laughing at the idea that you wouldn't be on the list. But I wonder, do you let that motivate you? Do you, do you let it empower you uh, as a player? How, how do you sort of approach them? Yeah, uh, I don't try to pay too much attention to the list, um, but that one definitely did motivate me because I just I want to be the best player I can be, and I think I've proven myself over the past few years here at Princeton and this season, and um, it's fine. Like it's fine, but it definitely does push me to to play harder and and to be the to be a better player. Um, to if they were to make that list again, there would be no doubt that I'd be on there. So, um, yeah, it's it's motivating. It's 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 a list and it's arbitrary, and I try not to let it it bother me. But yeah, it's it's something that I think all athletes are pushed by. You know, being underestimated, and um, yeah, that's that's what it's done for me. Well, listen, Kyla Charles of Maryland, who's probably going to be a Big Ten Player of the Year, wasn't on the list either. So maybe it's just uh, a DMV slight. Yeah. Maybe that's just, you know, just an, <laughs> an, an, an anti-regionalism. Uh, but here's what I'll tell you. Come April, there's going to be a list uh, at the uh, WNBA draft, and you will certainly be in the first 25 on that one, and that one matters a whole lot more. But first, yeah. there are some championships to win. So Bella Allery, that's I will leave it. you to it. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, we really appreciate it here at Lockdown Women's Basketball. Thank you so much.